0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 29, going through chapter 30, verse 6, and the title of the message is A Home Left unguarded. A home left unguarded. So as people, we go to great lengths just to make sure our homes are protected. We make sure that doors and windows are closed and that they're locked. And sometimes we double check. Sometimes we would even triple check. And we even make sure the garage door is down at least most of us do. I remember driving off for of work one day and left the garage door up. Praise God nobody stole anything, but this happened before. But, but most of us do a good job of making sure the garage door is down just to make sure our home is protected. And then some people, of course, they, they install an alarm system and they have even installed a security camera system. And some people get so fancy that they can see what's going on in their home from their phone, from their cell phone, just because of these systems that they have. So we go to great lengths to protect our homes, to make sure that they are not unguarded. However, is it really guarded or protected from all threats? See, by the time we're done with this study tonight, We'll be able to evaluate whether or not this is true for our homes. Are our homes, once again, really protected from all threats? And we're going to use the text tonight. We're going to use it as a, what I call a springboard to, to help us to address this topic of this home being left unguarded. And so we want to start with verse 1 in 1 Samuel 29 as we continue our study in this book. Now, we do remember or want to remember the overall theme of this book that the Lord had placed upon my heart, or at least on this study. And so the overall theme is, of course, to um, get to that place where We become all that we can be in Christ Jesus. In other words, reaching our full potential in Christ. Not just being all that he wants us to be, but doing all that he wants us to do. And so, again, we're coming to the end of this book. And so I wanted to remind you of that overall theme that was placed upon my heart before we started this study in 1 Samuel. But picking up at verse 1 in chapter 29, it says, Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain or spring, which is in Jezreel. And the lords or governors of the Philistines, they passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear of the With Achish. Remember, Achish is the king of Gath. He's one of um, the Philistine leaders. And so in verse 3 it says Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes or to these commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? In other words, he's been with me for a considerable amount of time. And he says, and to this day, I have found no fault in him. That is in David since he defected to me. And so we see here that Achish, this king of Gath, one of these Philistine leaders is defending David against the other Philistine rulers. And they were probably the other four. Philistine rulers. Because according to Joshua, going way back, uh, chapter 13, verse 3, it mentions a total of five Philistine rulers. So Achish would have been one of them. But we see that Achish, the king of Gath, one of these five Philistine rulers, he has nothing but good things to say about David. And it just makes me wonder. And so I pose the question, what is the world saying about us can they find any fault in us can they find anything in us of course we're not perfect but they can they look at our lives and point to any obvious sin any blatant sin in our lives or another question would be are we walking in wisdom And I pose that last question because in Colossians 4 5, it has that exact language in there. Because in Colossians 4 5, it says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. In other words, the, the Word of God is telling us to live wisely among unbelievers, live wisely among those who have not put their trust in Jesus. For salvation, redeeming the time, making the most of every, op- of every opportunity. So that's what redeeming the time is, making the most of every opportunity. And so are we walking in wisdom toward those who are outside, those who are outside of the uh, church family, of the family of God? Or can they look at us and point to any blatant sin in our lives? You see, Akish, once again, he had nothing but good things to say about David. And although some of our co workers may not be believers, our neighbors in our neighborhoods may not be believers, they should still be able to say something positive about us because of the love that we show, because of the lifestyle. That we live, which should be a lifestyle after or that follows the lifestyle of Christ. But in verse four, it says the princes or commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And so those princes of the Philistines said to him, said to Achish, make this fellow return. Make David go back. Make him go back to the place which you have appointed for him, which was in Ziklag. And do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? Of course, his master or this master that they're speaking of is Saul. In other words, they say they said he can use this opportunity to try to reconcile with King Saul. Or to get in his good graces if he were to turn on us in battle and provide the heads of these Philistine men who fight with us. And so send them back so he won't turn against us. And they said, is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And so this song is still a number one hit. They, they, they still remember this song. Because it causes them to remember David and how um, you know, much of a warrior he was. And So this is that guy they're talking about. This guy that they sang about. And you're going to let him fight with us? He's going to turn on us. There's that chance. Let's not take a chance, but send him back to Ziklag. And that's because these Philistine rulers, they, they wanted to be free to fight without that distraction of worrying about David and his 600 men fighting against them. They wanted to be able to just focus on the battle and not have to worry about, okay, what is this guy going to do? Because remember in 1 Samuel 14, 21, there were some Hebrews who had joined with them. They defected to the Philistines. They were on their side at one point. But then when the Israelites started fighting against them in 1 Samuel 14, then then those Hebrews who had once defected to the Philistines, they went back to the Israelites' side and then they started fighting against them. And so... Uh, they, They knew that that was a possibility. They knew, in other words, that there was too much Hebrew in David for the Philistines to totally trust him. They knew that there was just too much Hebrew in David for them to totally trust him. You know, if we apply that to us today. There are some, of course, in the world who do not want to be around believers. They don't want to be around Christians because they don't feel like they they would have that freedom to do what they want to do. They, They may feel that they will be distracted by us being there. In other words, they would have this thought that there's too much Jesus in them. for for, for us to be totally free to do our sinful thing. And and because there's too much Jesus in these Christians who are around us, all these Christians, they may say something to us that may just suck the fun out of the occasion. And and we can't say what we want to say. We can't say exactly what we want to say. We can't do exactly what we want to do because they might bring up Jesus. They might bring up God. They might bring up the Bible. They may bring up how sinful this activity is. And so they don't want to feel speaking to people in the world that, Oh, I have to look over my shoulder over these people who just have a little much, little too much Jesus in them to allow us to be free to do what we want to do. Well, I don't know if you've, experience that as a believer, as a Bible-believing Christian, but but, I, but I've been told straight out by a family member that they don't want to come over because they don't feel free to do what they want to do. They, 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 don't, they don't feel like, you know, It's nothing that I've said to them. You know, we have conversations all the time, nothing that I said to them, but Uh, Yeah, I just like to do so-and-so, and and I don't feel like I can just, you know, do, do that around you. I've been told that. And many of you have been probably put in that situation or probably experienced that. So in verse 29, it says, Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely, as the Lord lives, you have been upright, you've been righteous, and you're going out and you're coming in with me in the army is good in my sight. In other words, he's saying your behavior with me has been good. So this is what Achish, the king of Gath, is saying to David. He said, for to this day, I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace that you may not displease the leaders of the Philistines, those other four leaders. And so David said to Achish, but what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? And then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes is these commanders of the Philistines. They're the ones who said that he shall not go up with us to battle. They're the ones who don't trust you, David. Not me. You're good with me. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. So those other 600 warriors. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, that is to Ziklag. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. And so what we see here is that God actually gave David an out in this particular situation. Because David was, he was going to fight against God's chosen people. He was going to fight against Saul, King Saul. He he was going to join up with the Philistines to even fight against Jonathan, his best friend. And that would have been so weird because, remember, David had actually been anointed king over this nation, over the nation of Israel. So how would that have looked if he would have fight against him? Oh, that would have been so bad for him. So God gave him an out. He used those other Philistine leaders to kind of bring up the issue that David might turn on us. He used that to provide an out for David. And sometimes God gives us an out of a situation that we may not see as harmful, a situation that we may not recognize as sinful, A situation that we don't recognize is something that could potentially set us back in our walk with the Lord. Well, we may not recognize that. But God sees it. And He provides that way out for us. But then some of us we do like David did in verse 8. We continue to argue our point. We continue to insist. That that it'll be okay that that hey I, I've been good up until this point. That there's nothing wrong with me doing that. We continue to argue. But we will be wise to take the way out that God has given to us. God is so wise. But even but even in regards to not just situations, but in regard to being enslaved by sin. And being overpowered by the devil, oh, God gives humanity a way out. God gives humanity a way out of hell. But we know, of course, that even today, some people don't take that way out. They continue to be enslaved by sin and allow themselves to be enslaved or overpowered by the devil. And so they failed to take that way out. And that way out, of course, is none other than Jesus Christ. He is the way out of slavery to sin. He is the way out of slavery to the devil. He's the way out of hell. But for anybody who's listening to this message tonight, if You haven't yet taken the way out. You haven't yet put your trust in Jesus for salvation. And I would encourage you to do that tonight. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 30. Chapter 30, verse 1, and we're going to see the continuation of this story. It says, now it happened. When David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day or three days later, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag. And they attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. and They did not kill anyone, it says. You know, so actually um, they did better than what David did. Because remember when David was raiding those different lands, the Amalekites were one of those lands that he raided and he killed everybody. So the Amalekites, they actually didn't kill anyone in Ziklag, but they carried them away and went their way. And in verse three, it says, so David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him, they lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And so these same Amalekites, who had been the enemies of Israel since the time they came out of Egypt, they attacked this city that David was living in, and they took his and his men's family captive. Remember those 600 men? They took their families captive. And as we see here in the text, this caused great emotional uh, suffering amongst David and those 600 men, those 600 warriors. And so these are some tough guys, these guys who can fight, these, vi- these guys who have uh, experienced many victories and battles and warfare. And, and here these guys, they're lifting up their voices and they're crying. There's emotional suffering and emotional pain. And I just wonder how many of you have suffered emotionally to the point where you've cried to where you couldn't cry anymore. In other words, you were too exhausted to continue to weep. Too exhausted. Just like David and these men were just too exhausted to continue. You know, you don't even have any more tears to cry. Oh, you try to force them to come out and they still won't come because you, you cried them all out. You lie there on your bed. You lie there on your pillow. Some of you on your way to work and you just emotionally drained. Oh, and maybe that situation was something that rocked her family. Maybe it's someone who suffered from some type of miscarriage or some type of issue in their marriage that they don't feel like they recover from, they can recover from. Maybe there's someone who was really close to you and your family and they recently passed away and you just cried and cried about the fact that they're no longer here in your presence Anymore and you got to the point where you're too exhausted to continue to weep or, or maybe it is a health situation and you probably felt that you've done everything right but, uh, but still you're, you find yourself with this health issue oh, and you're too exhausted to continue to weep. Maybe there is some type of tragedy within the family that was brought on from an outsider. Uh, maybe I've shared the story before, but yeah, I actually have a brother who was actually shot and killed. So we still don't even have the full story. And well, I know my mom, she went through a tough time and, you know, I have to be you know, I have to be careful as the, her oldest son to make sure that whenever his birthday comes around, I have to uh, make sure that I do the right thing as the oldest son. But, but I'm sure my mom has been there where she even cried to the point where she couldn't cry anymore. But praise God, as we continue in this study, we're going to see what we can do in those moments. But we're going to continue in verse uh, five of chapter 30. It says, and David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, have been taken captive. Now, now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. And so David was not only troubled by the fact that his two wives were taken captive, and that's another story. I, I, I believe I touched on the multiple wives things in a few studies ago, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on that. But the fact is, he had two wives. They were taken captive, and. and he was troubled by that, of course, but he was also troubled by the fact that now his guys, his, his fellow warriors had begun to turn on him. They were blaming him for the fact that now their families are gone. Their wives, their sons and daughters were taken captive by the Amalekites. Well, they blamed him. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him. You know, and this is how they thought that they would help themselves overcome their time of grief. And everyone tries to do something like this, maybe not exactly like this, but everybody tries to do something on their own that would try to give themselves some type of relief when it comes to their trials, when it comes to their moments of grief and discouragement. They try to find something that they think would help them in those tough times. But I I like what David did here. Uh Oh, David, of course, just think about this. The king that he's serving, King Saul that turned on him and had been trying to kill him. He's been on the run. He's been been away from family. Hasn't even been been able to enjoy his inheritance. And then, of course, the guy he was serving, King Achish serving with him, fighting alongside him, or at least wanting to. Now, you know, those other Philistine leaders turned on him, and now he's just rejected all over the place. Just feel this rejection, and now he has his guys. The the guys who had been with him, had been on his side, have fought alongside him, raided with him and everything. Well, now they want to stone him. Now they blame him for what happened to their families. But David, we see here in the scriptures, he did the right thing. In verse six of chapter 30, he did the right thing because it says he strengthened himself in the Lord. In other words, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He didn't encourage himself within himself. I'm not going to strengthen myself in David. That's not what he said. I'm not going to strengthen myself in some idol god. It's some um, false idea. I'm not going to strengthen myself in those things. That, that's not what he's thinking. No, he strengthened himself, encouraged himself in the Lord. And this is something, of course, we can learn from David. Oh, in those moments where we cry so much that th- those tears won't fall out anymore. Those times where we feel extreme discouragement. We, we feel rejection coming from all types of angles in our lives. Or we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. As it tells us in Psalm 42, 5. See, this is what the psalmist says. And and this is from the CSB, that version. The Christian Standard Bible. It says, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why? And he's talking to his own soul. Why are you in such turmoil? And he tells himself, he tells his soul, your, put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. This is an example of what it looks like to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, to encourage ourselves in the Lord. In other words, we, we command our souls to to still worship him. We command our souls to praise him. I, I know you've been rejected. I know you feel this dejection. I know you feel this discouragement soul. Speaking to my soul, I know you feel that way, but continue to hope in God, continue to worship the Lord, continue to praise the Lord. Continue to ascribe greatness to his name for truly he is my savior and my God. Truly he is the great God. Begin to think of who God is. Begin to think of all he has done and you will begin to. Uh, feel encouraged. Remember the, fa- uh, the fact that he is the almighty God. Re- re- remember that he is that God who was with you in the fire, just like that angel of the Lord was in the fire with those three Hebrew boys. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego just like he was in the fire with them. He's in the fire with us, the fire of of our lives, those tough situations that are going on that 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 should have burned us up. But we come out not even smelling like smoke, like those three Hebrew gentlemen. Came out. They didn't even smell like the smoke, like the fire that they were in. If we remember scriptures like that, if we remember the fact that He said that He's always going to be with us and that He's never going to leave us. Remember the fact that the God that we serve is omnipresent, He's present with us at all times. We remember the fact that the Holy Spirit, that is God's spirit and dwells each and every believer. If we remember the fact that the Bible that we read, that we open up, that we preach from, that this is his word and that this Bible contains his promises and he does not ever renege on his promises. Everything in him is yes. Everything in him is amen. That means it's going to come to pass if we will remember things like that, that, that he's a God who knows what we need even before we ask. If we remember the fact that he takes great interest in his children, that he knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows everything about us. That he knows where we've been. And yet this God still loves us. Oh, he knows what we're going to do. And yet this God still loves us. If we remember the fact that this God is is merciful, this God is gracious, this God is a very present help in our time of need. If we remember scriptures like that and, and speak to our soul. Hope in God. For I will still praise him. People may think you're crazy because they may say, well, you're going through such a difficult time. Nothing good seems to be happening to you, but yet you're still thanking this God. You're still praising him. Oh, but we need to take a page out of David's book. We need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Encourage ourselves in the Lord. Because the preacher may not always be available. Your best friend who knows the word front and back, they may not be available, but but guess what? You have a personal relationship with him. So get to know the God of the Bible, get to know his attributes. Because when you come across those things in life. That are confusing. That you just don't understand, you can If you know his attributes, if you know what he said, you can always fall back on what you do know. And that's where you can find your encouragement. That's where you can find your strength. Well, I don't know where this is going to take me. I don't know why this has happened to me. You can say, but I do know my God is in control and that should bring you encouragement. And so in the scriptures tonight, we, we've seen the devastation that happened when David and the 600 men who were with him left their homes unguarded. See, David was preoccupied with being the king's bodyguard, which king? King Achish. He was preoccupied with being his bodyguard and, and getting ready to fight against Saul and the Israelites, while at the same time, the most important battle was at home. The most important battle was back in Ziklag, where his family was, where his two wives were living at the time, where the six hundred men who were with him, where their families were dwelling. The most important battle was taking place there. But 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 David was preoccupied with this other battle that he had no. Um, he really shouldn't have been trying to be a part of that anyway, going against God's people. But he was preoccupied with that. You see, the enemy, the Amalekites, they, they pounced on that opportunity to burn down those homes in Ziklag. They pounced on that opportunity to kidnap David's and his men's families. And just like we see there with the Amalekites, how they took advantage of that opportunity. Of David and those 600 men being gone, being preoccupied with other things. Just how the Amalekites took advantage of that, the enemy, the devil, Satan. He's waiting for that perfect opportunity to do a number on our households. Oh, he's looking for us to be preoccupied with other things. He's looking for us to be fighting battles. We have no business fighting while our homes are left unguarded. See, the scripture says this about the devil in 1 Peter 5, 8, and and many of you can quote this word perfect, but I'll read it anyway. It says, be sober, be vigilant or watchful because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion and he he is seeking whom he may devour. He wants to tear us up. He's looking for an opportunity to, to tear us up, to devour us. Not just us as individual Christians, but also our households. He's looking for those opportunities to cause disruptions and distractions. And, And it's not just Satan himself. Remember, he has an army of fallen angels that we call demons. And so we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant or watchful. Because we have this spiritual enemy who is who's like these Amalekites or they waiting for an opportunity. These demons, they, they, they want us to focus on other things. And sometimes we can be like David and these 600 men. We, sometimes we can be just as guilty as they are of leaving our homes unguarded so that this enemy of ours, this spiritual enemy of ours can wreak havoc You see, husbands and fathers, we, some of us could be more focused on careers and on being the prototypical breadwinner. We could be more focused on hanging out with the boys. But then while we're doing those things, while we're preoccupied with those things, we would neglect protecting our households by teaching them the word of God and by praying with them. And therefore we would leave our homes unguarded. Our homes being set on fire by the enemy. That fire is running rampant. The enemy is having his way in our homes because we're preoccupied with careers and all these other things. And and that's just husbands and fathers, but wives and mothers, you're not going to get away. You're not going to get away tonight. Because it could happen to you too. But maybe in a different way. Because wives and mothers, and this is just an example, so don't throw tomatoes at me. But wives and mothers, women, you could be so self-conscious about keeping the outer beauty. And you could be so self-conscious about keeping that high school or that wedding dress figure. Or that some of, some of you may lose sight on, on your God-given responsibilities in the home of respecting your husbands and raising godly children. Oh, that can leave the door open for the enemy to wreak havoc as well. Oh, but then there's children within the household too, so we're not going to leave the children out of this. And, uh, And included under the category of children will be the adult children. Because the children or some of them, they could, be more focused on trying to fit in with the cool people. They they could be so focused on trying to fit in with the cool kids, so to speak, to the point of disregarding the teachings from the word of God that they receive from mom and dad. They're so preoccupied with trying to fit in with the cool kids that, that they're disregarding the teachings that they even get from the youth leaders, for example, or the young adult leaders at church. And they may try to fit in so bad that they'll find themselves at parties that they don't even feel all that comfortable in, and parties where there's alcohol, drugs, and sex going on, and may hang around some folks and Start using language that they would never use at home. They may even bring certain people within the house that shouldn't be there. Again, leaving the door cracked for the enemy to start wreaking havoc because of who you're bringing into the home. And and I've been guilty of that when I was younger. You know, my dad, he, you know, he. Didn't raise me as a Christian, didn't raise me in the word. But, but one thing he always told me is you need to get your education. And, and <laughs> he tried to tell me to leave those women alone. And, and as, a, as a young boy, as a teenager, you know, those are things he tried, you know, tried to put out there. But he also was very protective of me. Because I remember one time a friend came over and he, he didn't know this guy. And I do have to say this so you can get why I'm, I'm going to say this word this way. Well, my mother, my mother, start with my mother. She's from Alabama. so My mom's from Alabama. But my dad is from Belize. And so my dad being from Belize, he <laughs> has his accent. He, he, he didn't say the word thief. But he was trying. He was trying to say that this boy who was at my house, who was my friend, he tried to say that he looks like a thief. But my dad, with his accent, he's from Belize. He said he looks like a thief. <laughs> and I was, I was young. I didn't quite know what he was saying. He said he was telling me that boy looked like a thief. Like, huh? he said, he like a thief. I was like, huh? said he looks like a thief. It's like what? I, I didn't understand what he was saying. But he was trying to protect me from. That young man, if he was trying to stop me from bringing someone in the house who shouldn't have been there, he was trying to say the boy looks like a thief. And so I've been guilty of that, of bringing certain people around the house that, that shouldn't be there. But then, of course, there's some members in the household who they're, they're more focused on Twitter wars they're, and, and arguing over petty issues on Facebook. They're more focused on fighting with others over politics and fighting with others over skin color issues. While at the same time, they're neglecting the word of God. They're neglecting prayer. They're neglecting doing their part of growing spiritually. And so they, too, are leaving the door cracked open for the enemy to come do his thing and and set fire to that household. And so we need to be careful of uh, allowing ourselves to have our attention be redirected to things that get us off focus when we should be doing things that would help protect the household from the enemy. You see, and it's so important. It's so important that we all contribute to doing what needs to be done in our households. And not to give the enemy an inch to work with, while at the same time giving God glory. And so we do those things we're supposed to do, but also bring glory or honor to the Lord. Like I said, when we do those things, it, we don't give the enemy an inch. And we're all within our household responsible for that. And maybe you're a cousin. You know, living with another cousin for whatever reason. Well, at this time, you're a part of that household. And so this applies to you as well. But when we talk about contributing to doing what needs to be done in our household, to not give give the enemy an inch to work with, when I say that, I'm going to say this, that it all starts with individuals in the home see, every individual, every person in the home, first of all, they must know God in a personal relationship. And that's only through Jesus Christ. Amen. You have to have a personal relationship with the Lord. Each individual, if, if you're going to be a part of shutting the door on the enemy. Shutting the door on him wreaking havoc within your household. But, but the second thing is this. Not only know God in a personal relationship through Jesus, but, but also being people or being individuals in the household who are presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. What does that mean? That means that you're living for him. You're not living for anyone else. You're not living to please yourself. And so you're sold out, so to speak, for the Lord as the worship team comes to the stage. And so if a person is, a believer, and, and I won't say just a person, but if every individual in the household is a believer and they're sold out for the Lord, they, they presented their bodies as a living sacrifice to him. If both of those things are true, then of course those doors of opportunities will be shut in the face of the enemy because everybody will have the right priorities. And what are the right prior priorities? See, the right priorities are what God, wants us to prioritize instead of us being focused on things that don't matter much or, or on things that don't matter at all. And So I just pray that all of us will receive that tonight. And as individual members of our household, yes, you may be a believer, but have, have you presented Your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. Are you sold out for him? Are you prioritizing the right things and shutting the door in the face of the enemy? Everybody doing their part. So that's the challenge for each and every one of us. And I will say for those of you who may not be a believer, if you're watching or listening to the recording at this point, I would Say, do that as soon as possible. Repent and put your faith in Jesus. ASAP. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you help us to do our part better. And guarding our homes from against the enemy. But ultimately, Lord, we acknowledge that you are the protector and shield of our lives, of the lives of our families. You are the shield and protector of the church. We recognize that. But by your spirit, help us to be faithful in doing our part as well, Father. And we do pray for Since we mentioned it tonight, Lord, we do pray for those who have been in that position of being in so much grief that they've wept till they can't even produce any more tears. I pray for them specifically tonight, Father. That you would mend their broken hearts. That you would reach them in the place where man cannot reach. And that you would bring total healing and restoration in their lives and in the relationships you want them to have, Father. I pray that you would lift that burden, that you would lift that oppression and depression that you, Lord, will lift that grief. And I pray for those, Father, who they maybe feel discouraged because maybe after hearing this lesson, maybe they feel like they haven't been doing a good job in protecting their house. Well, I pray against the condemnation that may come from the enemy. If it's you convicting them, Lord, then they'll be drawn to you. But we know that condemnation pushes people away from you. And if it's condemnation, I pray that you would remove that from, from my brothers, from my sister who's feel that way, Lord. Today is a new day. Today is a new start, Father, to do those things that we haven't been doing. And we pray that you would enable us by your grace to be more faithful in those things that we should be doing in our homes. And we pray, Father, that you would use us as you will in a mighty way this week. In Jesus' name, amen.